It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's hot time. We had a hot time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. Last week on the podcast, we brainstormed cannabis business opportunities with Julia, co-founder of Aster Farms. This week, we're taking the conversation a step further to explore intellectual property and cannabis business formation. If you're a cannabis small business owner in transition, and maybe you're wondering if you really need an attorney to make your brand legit, this episode is for you. Luke Zimmerman is an IP attorney who has been working with cannabis clients since 2013. He has published numerous articles related to intellectual property and cannabis. Luke has also lectured extensively both domestically and internationally. Now, for the rest of you, don't worry. The subject matter may appear to be dry, but my guest is also a well-traveled cannabis lover, So there are plenty of international tangents and colorful dialogue to keep you engaged in the culture. So settle in. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke. He was giving advice for people that are, you know, wanting to get into the cannabis business. Like, you know, where do we, where are the holes that Where you know, are people the holes? can well, I'm, I'm curious about what, what that response was. Where? What's the answer to that now? Well, you'll have to listen. Oh, right now. That's good. Oh, you are good. <laughs> <laughs> but nice. really, I mean, at any point, there is there's a hole for anywhere where you have a mastery. Like they need good accountants. They oh, need yeah. good attorneys. They need yeah. people who are fucking organized. Hello. Yeah. You know, so project management, all of those skills, marketing, advertising, design, 
you know, help people. I mean, somebody help us figure out how to recycle some of this shit or help us have less packaging. I think you, that is a great answer because I, I use that theme in my Oaksterdam class and I don't use it as much as I used to a few years ago, but where I say you don't have to just go into cultivation. You don't have to be an extractor. You don't have to run a dispensary to be part of this. Um, if you have a prior skill set and you, you had this life potentially as a professional before you got interested in this, you can probably roll many of those things over. And opposed to trying to catch up and compete with somebody who's been cultivating for three generations, maybe that's not the answer for you. Um, not yeah. saying that you shouldn't take a crack at it if that's your passion, but just saying it's going to be a hard go uh, playing catch up. And, but instead, maybe you're a photographer and you take really good pictures. People need that right now. You know, taking pictures of product, taking pictures for advertisement. And as you said, accountants, very easy one there. Mm -hmm. um, so I think looking at the skill set and figuring out how, because especially like using the phrase cannabis attorney, that is where I do identify as a cannabis attorney. It is also misleading because that presupposes somehow there's just this cannabis law thing where mm -hmm. really it's every area of law is kind of brushing up against it and being redefined because laws are changing. So then the way that laws relate to each other also change. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm an intellectual property attorney focused in the cannabis space or practicing in the cannabis space, but I am also a cannabis attorney. Any of the attorneys, what, I have a hard time when people are saying, well, a cannabis attorney doesn't exist. It's like, well, 90% of my client load is cannabis clients. I identify in the cannabis space. Yeah. I'm kind of a cannabis attorney. Yeah, you're like, I am in the lifestyle. Yeah. And so everyone, this is Luke Zimmerman. Hi, I'm Luke Zimmerman. <laughs> what, you looked over your shoulder? <laughs> Who the fuck is over there? There's a, there's a camera that I just <laughs> figured there's a camera there too. I didn't even look at that camera. <laughs> oh my God, and I'm the one that's high right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working through my morning, okay? It was a long night. There's a lot of joints. I mean, I'm working through it. Okay, so uh, you are busy being an IP attorney and entertainment, yes. uh, entertainment intellectual property. law, too? I do some entertainment law. Okay. I would say the majority of my clients right now, I assist with trademarks. Trademarks, uh, in understanding that intellectual property really runs the gambit of trademarks, copyright, patents, which I don't do, but I'll happily refer out if people contact me, um, trade secrets, um, and on the horizon, there's going to be Appalachian issues. I am fidgeting, and <laughs> we already discussed that. Um, fidgeting immediately. <laughs> so 90% um, of my clients would be trademark-related right okay. now. Um, yeah, but also I do some business formation. I do some contract assistance. And I've picked my lane. So if you contact me about something I don't do, I'm not going to do it. And I'll refer you to someone who's very competent. And I would also suggest that you look at the International Cannabis Bar Association, their uh, membership registrar, and you can probably find an attorney there. I'm a lifetime member. That's a good tip. And I also appreciate someone who says, I'm not your guy, but... Here are two or three names of oh, yeah. somebody else. Yeah. Like, I think be it's, with you. Let's, let's it's get on. It's a disservice at this time to try and say, I'm going to figure out how to develop my business, my legal practice by taking risks on your business. But yeah. I want you to pay me to do it. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I see some of that going on occasionally, and I'm like, oh, man. this is People are getting pinched in this industry right now from so many different fees, doing compliance, that having – a non-beneficial relationship with your attorney is like it, it, it's 
problematic at the worst. It's icing on the shit cake. <laughs> we can say shit on this? Yes, oh, it yeah. is. It is icing <laughs> on the sh- It is shit icing on the shit cake. <laughs> yes, that would be very accurate. <laughs> All right. You know, I try to do that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> shit icing or you. <laughs> I try to be accurate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Descriptively accurate. I like that. That's yes. good. Okay. So. Last week on the show, well, no, at this point now, it will be two weeks ago on the show, I had one of my friends who is also a travel lover mm-hmm. on, and we were talking about tourism and you mm-hmm. know preserving the culture here. I know when you and I first talked, we kind of mm-hmm. connected on the travel thing too, and I love that you spent time in Amsterdam. You got an, another degree there, I think. I have an international degree. I got a master's of law in international trade and investment law from the University of Amsterdam. So I, I lived in Amsterdam for a year. I, I basically was at a point where I needed to do something. I was just starting my career. I was actually trying to pass, or when I applied for the program, I was trying to pass the bar. Had a few times of taking the bar, didn't pass it. So I was like, I got to do something different. I could move to Amsterdam. I, I should move to Amsterdam. Why that, not? Why not? That's <laughs> right. always a good Hold fucking on. idea. Right. So I can get another, a few more letters after my name, get this specialized degree, and I can live in Amsterdam for a year. I should go do that. So that that is what took me to Amsterdam. And then it was this experience of coming back to the United States and saying, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to use this degree. It's like, unless I ended up in a very, with a specialized firm, like how is that going to happen? And then... I stake my claim. I only work for a regular law firm for about seven months. And then I stake my claim in cannabis and started my firm. And then being like, well, how am I ever going to use this international trade degree? And it's like, oh, wait. Yeah, this is, this is I'm yeah, going yeah. to get to use this. That's internet. all works itself <laughs> out, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It actually, um, I, am, I put in an application to get another master's of law that I'm waiting to hear back from a school in Italy to see if they're going to accept me. So. Nice. Is it at the University of Bologna? No, it is in Turin. Oh, okay. Yeah. That right. uh, there is seven. In northern Italy, right? Northern okay, Italy. that's what I thought. Yeah. That uh, there's seven universities in the world that have direct ties to the World Intellectual Property Organization. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those schools. So I'm trying to see if I can get accepted to a master's program. People like you fascinate me. I'll I got it. out of school <laughs> and I was like, Done and done. Never have to do that again. <laughs> See, I was raised with the, I, my my parents really pushed the keep learning, learn about everything, and I have used learning and education to travel the world. So, I mean, I've studied in China, uh, I've studied in Italy twice already, uh, I've studied in Amsterdam, and I use I love learning, and especially if I can be in a classroom with people from different cultures and different backgrounds, mm-hmm. and having that dialogue is amazing for me. Well, and I'm exactly the same way. I love learning and right. I'm very curious, but I use travel right, as good. my way of learning new things and being around other cultures. I just don't have to sit in a room <laughs> and, and right. take quizzes when I'm hungover. No, like. <laughs> I hear that. I, 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 that has worked against me at certain points too while traveling or studying abroad. But uh, yeah, I the idea of being in a structured setting mm-hmm. with someone leading the discourse who is a professional in their field and then having other professionals. It's it's kind of like I have a philosophy degree as my undergraduate degree. I don't ever get to just sit around and talk about philosophy with people anymore. Like trying to find a forum where that's for Call me. <laughs> 
Okay, so that would be you and me on the phone. I'm, I'm saying a discourse, like a forum. I know. And, and I appreciate that offer, though. Maybe I'll take you up on that. I mean, are you more of an ancient Greek or are you more of a modern? I really can't and all that. I didn't do so well. I, you, I have a bachelor's degree. I didn't study any of that shit. I just love it. <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. Um, so, yes, no, traveling. I have done a lot of traveling. Um I have more recently done more traveling specifically for the cannabis industry and for lecturing and, and opportunities of that. Um, last, well, well, I want to know you, since you've been doing that, how's the conversation different, you know, in Europe and these other places that you're visiting around cannabis? Like, you know, here we feel like we're dialed in, we're leading everything. This is where all the technology and all of the things are happening, but you know, there's right. other there's other cool shit happening in these other countries. Like where where is that I, conversation kind of headed? I think the we're leading mentality is indoctrinated in, into our culture because it's a very American concept. So mm-hmm. clearly, we're doing it right and we're doing it the best. I would say, from what I've seen in other places, I think they have figured out some things that we have not, and they're more open, especially at a federal level, to a dialogue of change. And that is something America could learn from. Absolutely. Um, I would say one of the things that really struck me when I was in Jamaica in December, um, lecturing on behalf of Oaksterdam University, which if you haven't checked it out, you should look into Oaksterdam. Right here in Oakland. Oaktown. But I was at the Rastafari Roots Conference that Oaksterdam assists with education. And... While Jamaica has its own thing going on, very different in many regards, the thing that was the same is the hearing and speaking with small farmers. And I think small producers in this space, especially when it, their livelihood has been based on this, that story of how this is getting really hard seems to be universal. And how this is preventative or the the barrier, the financial barrier to continue on with this is very real. And that seems real at least worldwide for where I've been. Yeah. Well, and if we just think about it historically, like farmers (laughs) never, (laughs) I don't know a bunch of rich fucking farmers, Right. you know, and they always, I mean, there is a saying, the plight of the farmer, right? you know, and so like people that are farmers and are doing this, they love it. Yeah. It is their life. I mean, I grew up in a small town in West Texas and so I I know that, and I understand the pride behind it. And you know, let, and- let me ask you about that question because you said you know they they love it. Now, mm-hmm. do you feel like that is an accurate snapshot of where California is now, or do you feel like that was the people who got us to where we are today? I think that the heritage farmers are yeah. the people that love it. Thank you. That's what I. Yeah. That's that was the clarification that I, I was I was pushing for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see more and more, and I think cannabis is for everyone. If you want to partake in it, if you you know if it works for you, but I see more people who are not from that legacy space or from the you've been around the block or you know you went down to Shakedown Street and saw the dead, whatever, mm-hmm. um, and trying to figure out what this looks like going forward with the blending of culture is something I'm really curious about because I think it's getting redefined right now. And I think as federal legalization occurs, that's going to get redefined even more. And so 
this space for legacy farmers, the people who loved it, who took risks to get here, the people who lived off the grid or lived outside of society um, and outside of the laws of society, to move us to the point where it's now getting folded in, what happens to this? Like we are at a very interesting impasse in cannabis culture about what continues on and what doesn't. I mean, in the last two years, the marketing trend, don't, don't advertise to stoners. Don't, you know, you want to get drink, bring people into the fold and then being like, well, people being brought into the fold don't actually buy a lot of cannabis. Advertise to stoners again. Like I'm, I don't think that there's a right answer, but I'm just seeing this kind of back and forth of, is this the old way? Is this the new way? Well, and you know, there's always an opportunity to change yeah. the manuscript and write a different chapter. And but it all comes down to distributors putting, you know, the craft cannabis and these yeah. heritage farmers on their roster before they put yep. these, you know, big giant cash cows because they're able to get better margins on them. Right. And it's like, you know, we may not make as much money as a company, but we can be the distri- distributor that focuses on this. Yeah. And then it then the dispensary owners, what are they putting on their shelves? So it's thoughtful decisions have to be made at every step along the way for there to be that ripple effect out within the world of the consumer where they walk into the shop the first thing they know is what the dispensary is showing them. Yeah. But all those other decisions had to be made two and three steps ahead to capture them there. Yeah. So. No, I, I think there has to be intention. And I think mm-hmm. that is a big thing right now for having the industry develop and having there be a lot of hardships is really intentionally looking at what we want this to be in five years and figuring out <clears throat> how to hold on to that as much as possible. So mm-hmm. I, I very much agree with that. Yeah. So tell me what you learned in Amsterdam that got you excited about being able to come back here and really tackle cannabis as your practice after just seven months. Right. Well, so I had a lot, I've, I've used cannabis since I was younger, we'll say in my teens. And I lived in Eugene, Oregon for an extended period of time and was very much in the cannabis scene. Um, and then went to law school and kind of saw this like impasse in my life where, okay, I'm becoming a lawyer. This probably doesn't fit anymore or some of these things. I'm probably going to do that suit by day. I am who I am by night, you know. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Amsterdam, just seeing that there was, a, <laughs> it was a, a society that had cannabis readily accessible that you could walk into a store and buy. The sky wasn't falling. They were doing very well financially. They are the hub of trade right now for Western Europe. Being like, America can do this. And then seeing the shift that was really going on with Colorado and Washington and being like, oh, America is doing this. This isn't a can do this. It might take a while to have the end goal kick in of federal legalization. But we're moving towards this and we're moving towards this in a way that for being around activists and doing some activism, talking to people who have been trying to legalize cannabis for you know, 20, 30 years and having them be like, oh yeah, this is different. This is a different time in history than what we've seen. This is moving in a way that we've had pushback before and now we're not having as much resistance. Mm-hmm. And so really saying, okay, <clears throat> I need, I want to be able to be congruent with who I am professionally and who I am personally this is something I have a knowledge base in, I have relationships in, 
And when I was at a crossroads moment in life of what is next, I was actually on a road trip from San Diego up to Portland. I stopped here to meet, hang out with a friend for a few days. And we were having brunch right by Oaksterdam. And he was like, hey, have, do you know about Oaksterdam? And I was like, well, I mean, I've seen some snippets on CNN. I have an awareness that this school exists, but I really don't know anything about it. And so I walked in and they said, well, we have these classes in 30 days. And I said, okay, I'm going to buy that ticket and take that ride. And that changed everything. That opened up the door. And then at the end of those classes, I got to meet a lot of attorneys from Pier 5. Uh, Kali Gretsch, I am forever in debt for crossing paths with her. Um, and what I saw was where I asked, who's doing intellectual property work in the cannabis space? They said, that doesn't exist yet. And I said, this is going to be one of the biggest parts of the whole component. And then I started to do research, and I could find about six law firms on the West Coast that I identified as doing some work. And then I started to see that there actually were federal trademarks registered. Shout out to Mary Shapiro, the godmother of cannabis trademarks. Um, and I said, okay, there needs to be work done in this space. And there need, I would like to see some of this work done by someone who has a relationship to this space. And then after I had my practice going for about a year, I reached back out to Oakstrom and said, listen, we need to be teaching people about intellectual property. Yeah. And especially being able to identify the different types. I don't expect anyone from going through my class. So I, I founded a section there and I've had a lot of assistance um, from Shabnam Malik and Amanda Conley. Um, they have been amazing also as teachers. Um, but being able to show students the different types of intellectual property. And if they have a business, <clears throat> hopefully having them the ability to identify these things and know when to ask for help um, and know that you can protect or you could own, or if someone is using this and you created it, maybe you do have some grounds to actually go back and challenge that use. Yeah. So I think that was really important. And that kind of became... That is one of my my passion goals right now is just educating. People. That's you getting paid to be yourself. Even like that is not you know that's not filling my retirement plan. The the, <laughs> the teaching component is definitely not. Um, but it is what the community needs. Right now. No, yes, absolutely. But I mean, this whole th cycle of you coming through and even running into Oaksterdam, it's like you know it was like the perfect. Life joining path. of yeah. your lives. Yeah. Because before I was working in the cannabis space, I felt like I had to send a representative to the office. Oh, yeah. Because I'm like, this isn't really me, and I'm kind of high right now, but nobody can know that. Right. You know, so it's like yep. finally being able to just freely be yourself, share your gift. You yeah. It's what we all I, want. I think that idea of being congruent as a person, and I think cannabis prohibition this is just one of the examples of a oppressive society where this really isn't, broadly, this is not really hurting people. But this is something that if you identify this is who you are, you're marginalized. You're less than. You're not part of the predominant culture. And you have to hide that part of yourself. And I think the human experience is wanting to express and want to be recognized for who you are. Right, to without, be seen. Right. Without yeah. having to say, okay, well, I'm going to go close the door and now I get to be who I want to be. And if I go out, just play it cool and put on some sunglasses. Like that's not, that doesn't feel good, yeah. you know? So, yeah. And that was an experience in Amsterdam. Seeing ex much like being in Amsterdam and realizing that I'm not going to get shot because there's just no guns 
or <laughs> very, very few guns. Um, and having that taken off and then being like, I can walk around, I mean, arguably smoking joints as long as you're not being a nuisance. No one cares. No one cares. And yeah. being like, whoa, that's cool. Like, especially for being from the Midwest, like that, I mean, any smattering of this behavior still in Green Bay, Wisconsin would get you hemmed up pretty quick. So, yeah. yeah. So that was a big takeaway too. And I would like to live in a country where that's an option. And I think people should have the right to engage with the plant how they want. And I think if they're even, even to the tune where if they engage with it and there's a negative consequence from their use, they should be able to get help with that. And they should be able to be in a community where they can talk about that instead of having to hide it or I have to figure this out myself or I don't don't think that betters anyone. And that's what this show is. It's a service to those people, help people create that dialogue in their communities. I teach people how to be cannabis Sherpas. Cannabis Sherpas. Yes. Yes. Okay. We have to go spread the gospel. I mean, so we're here in in the Mecca. Right. And so it is completely normal here for us. And so I forget a lot what things are like for somebody living in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. And that's, it's funny. I I live in Portland, Oregon. Big shout out to Portland. It's amazing. I I miss it already. I'll be there in May. Okay. Well, look me up. Cultivation Classic. Okay. All right. Fun. Um, But I will say, for even, I, I love Oregon. It's amazing. Very laid back in many ways. Still my favorite to smoke canna- place to smoke cannabis in the United States, Oakland. It's hands down. It's just easy. It's casual. People are friendly. It's, I mean, <laughs> there's a certain smile that hits my face where I'm downtown Oakland in the middle of the day. I smell cannabis in the street and I'm like, okay. This yeah, is, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> right. This is good. <laughs> you walk into my building right? and there's seven units Six out of the seven units, there's like just weed reeking through the walls. The only person that doesn't smoke in this building is the landlord. Right. <laughs> but they're cool with it. Totally cool with it. Yeah. See, I yeah. dig that. I dig that. So let's give some advice to a small business who might be much like me okay. at Casually Baked. <laughs> I'm not asking for free legal <laughs> advice right now. One, this is not binding legal <laughs> advice. I wouldn't even call it legal advice. This is, we're on a, a video podcast right now. No, um, yeah, no. So one, I, I don't represent you. Two, I'm trying to think of all like the, the boilerplate. I'm a yeah. lawyer. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Stamp, stamp, if, stamp. If notarize, would, notarize, notarize, notarize. Right. If you decide to act on this, I would talk to an attorney before you do, and I am not your representation. So no, if you're starting off also, one, let me- Le Chouf. This was oh, one yeah. of my favorite beers in Amsterdam. This is on the taps everywhere. That uh, the gnome, yeah, yeah, that was fun. I, whenever my dad was a kid, him and his siblings would collect coasters from all oh, the pubs cool. and everywhere they were. They right. lived in England and Germany and different places. So when I was a kid, they these things were always around. Right. And when my grandparents passed away, I was like, I want those. Yeah. And so, of course, on all of my travels, I you collect them. them. I so I've that, got, it's like 30, 40 years worth of That tells of them. a cool story. And also, we need a product like this in the cannabis space. Maybe that's the jam. I I have one. Oh. Uh, it's <laughs> got one, I've got two shows, one's on one side and the other's on the other side. And okay. so I'm like, whenever I do events, I'm like, here's some coasters. Feel that, you, would you like extras? That is smart. Leave them. That's good. Okay, so the the small business advice. Okay, yes. Yeah. So this is somebody who's you're 
you've been sole proprietor doing your thing, but things are picking up and you need to like get serious and you need get to serious. Yeah. We need to get, button things up. Right. What, what are those first kind of things people need to do? I think it would be if in the theoretical, if I was an attorney and you were a potential client, you walked in and said, Hey, this is what's going on. I would start asking you questions about long-term goals. Um, what do you see the growth of the business looking like? Um, I would talk to you about different entity types. So if there is a lot of growth or there is some liability related to what you're doing or you have some assets that you're looking to protect, you know, maybe forming an LLC would be the right advice or maybe exploring forming a corporation, especially if you're going to take on investing, that might be the right advice. Um, I would uh, tell people there's not a one-size-fits-all, but you want to find one... I would do some research into what entities mean in different entities types on your own. And then when you go, and I would advise you to speak with an attorney, um, you'll have a knowledge base to work from when you're asking them questions. Mm -hmm. And it, because also if someone tells you this is what you need to do, be a little skeptical about that uh, unless you've explained what your desires are, what your goals are, just because there's not a one size fits all. It's just, it's, there is not an, hey, we just did this and I'm handing you a binder and you're now you're a corporation and go be on your merry way. It's not like that. So I think um, having that conversation and potentially forming an entity would be the, one of the first steps. Um, and it's, I mean, are you going to have employees? Are you going to have, is this just for yourself? Um, that has an impact too because there are compliance standards you have to do in California, especially if you have employees, that that's a consideration. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, if I would fast forward you to the point where we talk about intellectual property because honestly, depending on the questions you'd ask me about or in my hypothetical scenario, <laughs> if someone was like, yeah, I'm actually going to apply for a cannabis business license. At that point, that is when I would say, I have a list of referrals that I'm going to give you because I know what I do and I know people who do this better than I do. Mm -hmm. And these are some, these are some people you want to talk to because they, they have hit home runs. I am not going to step up to bat and take some swings at this. But at the point where then saying they were like, okay, but I have this name that I want to protect. And I would say, oh, hey, no, okay. Yeah, I'm this, your guy. Right. Uh, theoretically, I'm your guy. Luke Zimmerman, uh, right. pleasure to meet you. I'm your guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so what we would look at, and I mean, we are, I'll even talk about other forms of intellectual property, but um, looking at the name and names are, is, I'm amazed at how quickly people will gloss over where they're like, oh, pick my name. That's what we're doing. And this is great. And it's like, that's really problematic. Um, you want to make sure that other people aren't using the name or the name hasn't been registered. Um, and you can do that with a super fast search online. You can, and that's immensely misleading. Oh, yeah? <laughs> that's like scraping, starting to scrape the surface. And like that, much like I said, hey, so if you're going to learn about entities, do some research first. I would use and that. I have a great article that explains all the differences between the different ones that I'll include in the show notes at casuallybake.com and go. And so, um, what is, I think you're talking about, especially tests, right? Um, tests is the federal trademark database search yes. engine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That I think I'm happy when clients, when I speak with clients and they've done an initial search, but also they usually are looking for what would be considered a knockout search, which is a one for one. 
And if so, I am Acme Incorporated. Oh, there's already an Acme Incorporated problem. Oh, well, there is no other Acme Incorporated, but there's a Acmea. Well, that's not exactly what I am. So we're cool. Not necessarily. Mm, right. And that is where, so really conducting a thorough clearance search is a good step to understanding, is this going to be a problem? Because um, you can have common law trademark rights that'll pop up and cause a concern where someone hasn't registered anything, but there's an awareness that they are using it. And they still have a right to use that trademark. And they might prohibit you from using that trademark in an area that you want to use the trademark. Yeah, all of this is like, get me an attorney. (laughs) (laughs) So as as but no, I do have. I mean, casually baked, highly responsible is trademarked. I I did it the first time on my own. I I watched the videos on the government website. I followed the instructions, did it. But then all of a sudden, there was that little twist, right? And it needed. Did you get an office action? I don't know what I got. They did you get an attorney? Yes, I did. I got an attorney. I got an IP attorney. Because it's like, oh, all of a sudden this is a little more complicated than what I can do. I have had clients like this where they're like, I filed it on LegalZoom. Then it got, it went sideways. And being like, okay, well, let's see how sideways. Because Mine was something about the... The the type that I was classification yeah the code. classification the Nice classification system that currently internationally does not have any accurate identification for cannabis goods services or products they only have hemp for textiles fabrics and ropes so in that system classes one through forty five if you pick the wrong class it will trigger a response and they'll say you know you're offering entertainment services but you registered yourself for smoking accessories what is this. Mm-hmm. P.S. is this paraphernalia, or are you violating the CSA? Um, so that's one thing that there. I have helped clients who have come to me and said, hey, I filed this on my own. This thing happened. Can we fix it? Or what do we need to do? Some of those are easy. Like in your case, that would be, okay, let's just go through and edit so long as they don't require a resubmission, um, depending if they let you make that modification. Or... In some cases, um, I've seen this with cannabis clients where they're like, hey, so I filed this specimen of use and it's like a big pile of weed. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think we're going to be able to <laughs> repair this, man. Like, yeah, and also right. that's on the federal database for life. So Game over, bro. Yeah, like <laughs> we're back to square one and also you're on the record <laughs> for, yeah. for this. So um, I recommend people – identify what they're working on and if it is within their budgetary constraints, definitely seek legal assistance with this because there needs to be a solid foundation for the filing. There's actually, like even before you get to the point of just submitting the documents, doing some, how are you using the trademark? Do you really own the trademark? Are you aware of anything else going on with the trademark? Um, that That is a foundation. You want to have a solid foundation for going mm-hmm. forward. So. And I will say that if if you are serious enough about your business to want to file a trademark, right. then you you figure out a way to do it right from the beginning. Because right. it's just like you know filing it anything. It's right. like it's harder to amend it than it is to just get it right on the first try. It's true, but what I also identify there's no reason if you haven't studied this or spent a lot of time doing it. There's no reason why you have a knowledge base of 
the concerns or the, the ancillary issues surrounding the topic. So I think taking your best stab at it is a good goal, but also understanding there's so many nuances surrounding this that you might, you, there's no reason why you'd pick that up. Yeah. Like outside, especially if you sit down and you do this search and on test and you're like, there is no other, at least from what I can tell, company using this or brand using this. That, it's like, that's a good start. It's also really not enough long term, let alone if you get to a point where you want to take on investment and you're like, hey, investment people, there are no problems with this name. And then you take on money and then you get a cease and desist letter and you're like, I might get sued. So now I'm going to change the name. And then you go back to your investing people and you're like, that project you invested in that was called Blaze and Blondie is now called Barney and Cher. And you're like, <laughs> are we still good? <laughs> and that can happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it is a hard time in the cannabis space because trying to be compliant with everything, trying to find budgetary f- to do everything, it, I think, just seems unrealistic in many ways right now. And so I think doing the like, what I like to do with clients also is first things first, is look at, you know, I want 15 trademarks. I'm going to make this empire. Okay, well, what are you doing today? What are you doing for the next three years? What are you doing? Like, how much of this is actually, do we think, going to come to fruition? And what does that budget look like? And let's focus on what we can do today and then we'll grow into this instead of trying to do everything right now. Because, and that's what I've been doing. Yeah. And so now I am at that kind of crossroads of, okay, now we've got to shit or get off the pot. Like what's, <laughs> you know, I have to, I have to move in one direction and make it, you know, right. not a sole proprietorship anymore. Yeah, no, and a sole proprietorship is not a good way to have a team. Um, or it's a harder way to have a team. It's very hard to take on investing. Um, well, and there's just, there's a lot of risk involved. I mean, it's like your personal. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's like, no, I I can't do this until I transition out. Right. Don't buy the house and also run an extraction lab or (laughs) have an LLC in that buffer between. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, so I think advice to give, yeah, one especially if you're just going to own a business, it's always really good to look and see if you need to form some form of entity to shield the liability. Um, then make sure that, you know, there's compliance issues that go through, especially if you're going to have multiple, if you have multiple owners, it's a little bit less, but if you have employees, there's definitely a whole issue with labor law in California that is very serious that if you gloss over, that will come back to haunt you. Um, I think find a good accountant to work with because, I don't know about you, my bookkeeping skills, a little subpar. Something I'm working on where I'm like, okay, hey, accountant, maybe I should talk to you more. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to be better about just logging all of my receipts, scanning them immediately, filing them away so that my bookkeeper can easily identify what I'm doing. Because, yeah, you know, March, kind of end of February, March, when I'm working on my taxes. Right. I hate my life for like yeah. two weeks because yeah. I'm like, I am an unorganized slob. <laughs> like what is this shoebox full of shit that I have to go through right now? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's not fun. No. And that's, it makes running, a, uh, and also running your business, you're not making accurate business decisions because you actually don't know where the resources are and you don't know what the money flow looks like, which that's the livelihood of a business. So yeah. 
you know, I think a good exercise too is just mind mapping out what your business is. So you're like, okay, what is this three-year plan? Oh, yeah. Five-year, six-year. It's like, what what is what is the business? What are all these the verticals where I can actually, you know, generate revenue? Like, what is, what does that big picture look like? And then, you know, work backwards. I think that's really good advice because having had interactions with clients or potential clients who haven't mapped that out, there are there's a push to have the attorney or the consultant or whoever you're working with fill in that blank for you. And that's not what you want. No, because it's your bu- your business. Yeah, exactly. And that's expensive as fuck to get an attorney to do that yeah. legwork well, for you. And if they're a good attorney, they're probably going to tell you, we're not doing that. Like, right. You need to come here and tell me what you need done. Yeah. And I'll try to figure out how to do it. If you're going to come here and say, I think I'm going to do this thing. Tell me how I should do this thing. That's not really what, yeah. no. You know, ethically, I don't, you know, in yeah. the hypothetical situation, I yeah. wouldn't do that. Know what you want so that you can figure out what you need. Exactly. And then, you know, we've kind of have this idea and then we can go to an attorney. So say someone is in another state, is there a good resource, online resource to find a good attorney? Every state will have a bar association. That That is a good place to, if you're like, man, I got in a car accident and I need to find an attorney you can go to your your state bar association. If you need an attorney that's specialized in the cannabis space, right. the International Cannabis Bar Association is the best place that I've seen to start. Okay. Um, yeah, that I, I would recommend that. And especially if you want to be working with an attorney, because I, I say that my father is a doctor, and I very much, for growing up around doctors, saw that, some people just go to a doctor, they think, hey, you've got these degrees, I have to listen to you. Really, you want to have a relationship. You want to understand, do I trust you? Is this, is this, do I feel like this advice is the good advice? Attorneys are the same thing. And I think finding an attorney to work with, there are certain personality types that maybe you're looking for. I mean, and just an understanding of what you're doing. Because I've seen, especially years ago, Listening to some attorneys talk about the cannabis space where they didn't really have a relationship to it and having them be like, oh, yeah, why is that a big deal? And being like, oh, man, that's a massive yeah. deal. Like if you're in this, that is like on your mind. Um, or and this once again, this was years ago, but having some people be like, oh, man, if there was five pounds of weed on the table, that's a lot of weed. And being like. You're like, uh, go <laughs> that home. You have a massive <laughs> disconnect between the people you'd be representing and like what their daily life looks like. And while you can still have successful representation from that, there might be a disconnect in when you're explaining something, if they really are understanding or taking what you're saying seriously, because they just might not have any context. And through the International Cannabis Bar Association, you at least would be working with attorneys who have the ability to do continuing education, um, are taking the time to say, hey, I'm in this space, so I'm probably staying current with what's going on. Um, so I would recommend that. I think that's a good resource. Well, thank you. Thanks for hanging out today. Yeah. Are we already done? Well, yeah. I mean, it's time for us to transition into, um, well, getting casually baked if you're up for it. I'm, I'm interested in casually baked. We only like scratched the surface on I know, travel. but what is well, th- that's what we can talk about while we're smoking. Okay. But, you know, we, can, we have to, we can, yeah. have to make sure that I'm serving my audience like juicy goodness to help them oh, with man. their, oh man. With what? their own cannabis journeys. <laughs> right. So okay. now we just, you know, we'll go on a little trip now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. We, we can do that. 
There are a lot of seven-day work weeks, never-ending to-do lists, and constant moving parts when you're building a business. I can empathize. That's why I'm sharing helpful links in the podcast 83 show notes at casuallybaked.com. I also think you'll appreciate Garden Society, the podcast, for a deeper dive into the entrepreneurial journey. If you haven't checked it out yet, it is available on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Whether or not you're in the cannabis business, I hope you got something out of this casually baked chat. If you did, I hope you're inspired to share this episode with a small business owner or aspiring entrepreneur in your life. Later this week, I'm off to Calgary to begin my exploration of the Canadian cannabis culture. I'll be there for 420 and Earth Day, and I look forward to sharing what I experience and learn with you. So stay tuned for future episodes of Casually Baked, the podcast. Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. La Osa is in the house capturing and editing the video version of the podcast available on YouTube and channel 203 on Cannabis Club TV. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're finding your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.